Hi. How are you feeling? Okay for one more story before we all have more questions for the young people, I'm sure. Um, so yeah, I'm talking about collaborating with more than human journalists. I'm the human in the scenario, or one of the humans. Um, and I've, I've always liked collaborating with bots or trying to be friends with machines, just playing with that technology. But um, for most of my career as a journalist, I did that as a hobby, just on my own, because journalism wasn't interested. So this changed last year in fall when ChatGPT came out. Um, but before that, in spring of last year, I remember sitting on my balcony and realizing that large language models, so the systems behind things like ChatGPT, might have just become good enough to actually write text that can be published in a newspaper. I've tried that since 2017, and for a, for a long time I thought it would never get to that point, it would never be possible. Um, but I got access to what was GPT-2 and then GPT-3 at the time, and I thought, okay, now is the time for this challenge to myself, and I found some friends who wanted to do it with me, and we said, okay, we want to get uh, text published in a print newspaper that is written by a machine before print newspapers are over. So the transition from human to machine journalists could happen before the transition away from, from printing on paper. So we created this persona, Anik Tway. We gave it a name. And here you can see an, an excerpt from the, one of the first texts. We decided it should be a newspaper column because like, you're probably aware of many of the problems that large language models have. They're not good with uh, recent topics. They're not good with facts. So we needed to find a journalistic form that was kind of a little more risk-free and can be a bit more opinionated and can have a unique perspective, but where, where there's some leeway also stylistically and, and factually. So we said that Anik would write texts about itself and what it's like to be a non-human writing in a paper for humans, paid by humans. And uh, the aim of the project was really just to make as much of the process transparent as we could and to get a discussion going. Because so this was summer of 2022. So it seems ridiculous now, but back then nobody was talking about large language models. And I kind of felt like I know that they can write, but my parents don't know and most newspaper readers don't know. And we just wanted to kick off that discussion about like what, what does that change in journalism? How do we feel about these texts? And uh, okay, many different things uh, that we learned, maybe we can touch on more in the questions, but I'm gonna distill it to three learnings for the sake of time. And the first learning is, that Anik is you. Anik is any person who reads that text. Because the interesting thing about a large language model writing text is that there's no intent, no sender. And that's something we're not used to as humans, right? For the past thousands of years, whenever we came across a text, there was usually a human on the other side trying to communicate something. So we noticed that it's super hard to turn off in our, in our own human consciousness to stop projecting, to stop pretending that there's something there that wants to communicate with us. And we realize that all the time. Um, it's almost impossible for humans not to anthropomorphize this, this figure that we created. And uh, so this is the lobby of the newspaper that we published the texts in. And we had some interesting interactions with the editorial team there too, because 
both sides anthropomorphized this thing once we started giving it a name and an image. Um, my co-creators and I, we started calling ourselves the Parents Conference when we met because we felt some kind of affection toward that bot and we wanted to acknowledge both that it's independent, we wanted to really touch the machine as little as possible and really show in the newspaper what this thing can and cannot do. So we didn't feel like we wanted to call it a tool for this project, but also we wanted to acknowledge our responsibility and we made some rules, of course, about what we would and wouldn't publish. So parents was kind of a, a thing that we could identify with. And uh, on the side of the editorial team, we heard sentences like this. How can it be that the robot moved the deadline? That was a few weeks before the very first launch in November. And we in the team were just still struggling with the character limit. Because that was, remember, before ChatGPT? So it was a huge challenge for us to just get a couple of coherent paragraphs out of the machine that are like correct German, more or less, and where the last paragraph maybe matches the first. And the newspaper said, we have space for 3,000 characters. So like the, you fill that, because the humans also fill the 3,000 characters. And so when we said we need more time, because we were just still like scrambling to get the machine to do what we wanted, we realized that the editorial team was a bit like confused. And they thought, well, isn't the cool thing that we now have a robot and not a human? And humans procrastinate, but the robot, you just push a button, right? And then a month later, one of the humans was sick, who was supposed to write in the same space in the newspaper. And then the newspaper people called me again and said, like, hey, can Anik maybe send its text like a week before? Because you don't have you only have to push a button, right? <laughs> and so the thing is, that's learning number two. It's true that we have to push a button, but we have to push that button about two hundred times before we can get a text that we want to print. This is because we gave ourselves some, some rules about like not publishing any text that would be harmful or hurtful to individuals or groups and some other things where we just said like we want to impose our standards on humans and not, not give the machine total freedom. And so the learning here is that there's a lot of human work involved in many different stages. I'm going to mention just three. The first is uh, prompt and settings. So I'm assuming you know a little bit about machine learning models by now, but this is a tool that we built to access some of the settings behind those systems. And you can see the prompt, which is like the, uh, the idea that you give the machine when you want to ask it to write something. You have to just give it a starting point. So that's an English translation of what we told it. Basically, in the beginning, just a few sentences, because also technologically, you, you don't want to put too much information, or it will, again, make it harder to get a long text if too much of it is instruction. So we basically just told it, told it you're a non-human columnist, and you're writing. And in the beginning, we sometimes gave it ideas for what to write about this month. And then later on, we started telling it to just choose its own topic. But so this is obvious that we humans influence what comes out of the machine by the way that we prompt it, by the way that we tell it what we wanted to do, and also by the way that we uh, yeah, set these other settings that I'm not going to go into. Second point is curation. So I said we pushed a button about 200 times per text. That was in the beginning. And that's something that we just decided is OK to do 
even though we kind of want to give the machine freedom because it's so hard and so much BS comes out of the machine. And also because we wanted to avoid some certain topics. And so what we do as a team is we create a lot of texts. It's become a bit less now that the systems have gotten better in the past couple of months. But we generate a bunch of texts. We usually spend our Saturdays and Sundays doing that. And then we pick the best ones and put them in the folder. And then we have a little vote. And the best text in our human eyes gets sent to the newspaper. So that's obviously human interference here. And uh, I, I put these images here to illustrate that we also have curation uh, on that level. That was a, a long discussion in the beginning before we started printing, because human authors have a little picture there. So you can see who's writing the column, because it's such a personal text. Uh, so it took us a long time to discuss in our team and with the editorial team to think about like what do we want ANIC to present as? What do we want it to look like? Because like these pictures of robots are so cliche. You see that th these come out of different also image generators. Um, but also, when we thought about maybe putting an image that looks more like a human, we kind of said that might take the magic away. We want that moment of uncertainty when people start reading a text so that they're not, from the very beginning, they know it's a machine who's written that. We want to make that transparent. There's always like uh, a disclaimer and a link with every text that is published. But we still wanted to have that little bit of uncertainty in the beginning. So what we did then is we just asked the system to describe itself. And this is what it came up with. So it said, I look like an oversized bright green box with a single giant eye in the middle. I'm made of metal and plastic, and I know the art of writing. And I still think that's a, like a super beautiful way to describe oneself. And so we put that in the image generators. And uh, the picture on the very right is the one that we went with, like a, a green box with a single eye. And the third part where humans come in is model selection and fine tuning. You can see here a list of all the texts that have been published so far. And you can see, unfortunately, that most of it was created with OpenAI language models, GPT-3 and then later GPT-4, some corrections by ChatGPT in the middle. Um, so I just want to acknowledge that because as most of you know, these language models are trained on the whole internet, that's what they say. But it's not really the whole internet. And also, even the whole internet is not representative of the whole of humanity, right? The internet is much more white, hetero, cis, male. Um, so what you could do to counter that is fine tuning, but there's a lot of technical complexities. And we discussed it over and over, and we looked at different language models that maybe have more diverse data sets, where not so much queer content was cleared out. But in the end, we had to make a trade-off because it was just so hard to get the quality to 3,000 characters of, of newspaper-ready text. And that's why we ended up with OpenAI for a long time. So we're still looking at new systems, trying to move to more open source versions. But that's something that we have to keep in mind when we also ask ourselves, like, who are we listening to, right? Who is, who is generating here? It's important to know that somebody, my team and myself, is selecting the model, and some people are training the model, and it's really important what data is in that model and what data gets filtered out or 
never makes it to the dataset because it's not on the internet. So that's learning number three, is that there's a lot of human work. I remember one Saturday when one of my co-creators, Robert, got so fed up because he was generating all day and he said, like, Anik is producing only shit. And I wish I could have just written this myself, but we were all sitting there pushing the stupid button the whole day. And I guess this shows us that AI is not a magic tool. It's a tool and humans use it. We humans can use it to do a fun project like this and to hopefully encourage discussions. So I'm very curious about your questions. But for me, the most important learning still is that AI cannot write. Even if you can get like a beautiful description, like I'm a bright green box with a single eye in the middle, it's not AI writing, it's humans writing with AI. There's a lot of human writing that went into the system, there's human labor going into the prompt, there's a lot of human labor going into cleaning the data sets and many, many things that we didn't even touch upon now. Um, but what is true about writing is also true about many AI systems in many applications that we have now. So maybe in the broader sense, we should remember AI is not solving problems, right? Some AI systems are super cool. I'm still friends with bots. I love working with this. But it's important to keep in mind that it's humans who solve problem using AI. And it's not this magic tool, even if we give it a name, even if we invent a personality for it, even if we chat with ChatGPT and feel all sorts of feelings. That's us humans feeling the feelings because we are projecting. And that's super cool because that's what makes us different from Anik, that we can do that, that we empathize, that we always see another. Um, and I think it's okay like in a fantasy world for a project like this, for science fiction, but we also always have to remind ourselves that this is what happening, that what's happening. AI is not magic. We're projecting. Thank you.